Well, if you're here this morning, I am not. I am here in the church on Saturday night, the Sabbath, if you will, uh, because I just received news not too long ago that I became exposed to someone who tested positive. So for this next week or so, or a little bit more, I will be uh, self-quarantining. And I uh, just wanted to do the, the safe thing and not expose anyone. So thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for watching online as well. And uh, thank you for watching online on the big screen this morning as well. Uh, I'm feeling fine. I don't have any symptoms. Um, Lord willing, I, I won't. Uh, but I do want to be safe. Well, ironically, this morning, uh, I'll be focusing on uh, the life of Job, the second part of Job, and, and this issue of suffering. I'm not suffering here, uh, but, but suffering is a very real issue for all of us, one time or another. And, and suffering is one of the hardest issues that we struggle to make sense of. Not, not just us, but universally, even really brilliant people like atheist Cambridge professor Richard Dawkins, who said the universe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. He couldn't make sense of suffering. And there are a whole host of quotes like this from renowned people who cannot understand suffering. Well, what can we learn about suffering from God's word, specifically from the book of Job? Well, there's a pastoral answer that one could give to someone who's suffering, and there is a theological answer. Last week, we looked at the pastoral answer uh, from the three friends um, how not to answer someone who's suffering. When someone's suffering in certain ways, they're needing comfort. They're not needing five steps to the re- or reasons for suffering. Well, last week we looked at how the, bad fr- or the three friends offered bad comfort to Job. They demonstrated how not to comfort. They assumed someone is guilty of sin- some sort of unrepentant sin if they're suffering. And they also gave pat answers to Job, you know, the spiritual cliches, and that's not helpful either, to offer Christian cliches to someone who's suffering or recently going through it. God must have had a higher purpose for your pain, brother, or if you only repent and have faith, God will remove your suffering, or at least you have heaven to look forward to. Things like this will not be comforting to someone who is in pain or someone who has lost a loved one, for example. These truths may be true partially or even fully, but they certainly aren't comforting. And then uh, we looked at how Job was able to find some decent comforting just within his own theological framework. Job found some comfort in the freedom that he had to be real and honest before God in his prayer life. He knew that God could handle his messy prayers, his honesty, his emotions. And God wants us to be real with him. But then we come to great comfort this week. Great comfort. God offers great comfort to Job 
But it doesn't come to us in the way that we would expect as we read the book of Job. What kind of great comfort did God give to Job? And we read God's words finally in chapter 38 through 42. And God told Job a few things, specifically five things that I want to highlight that God uh, told Job in his suffering. First thing he told him was, Job, Job, I will never abandon you. One of Job's greatest fears was that God had abandoned him throughout the first 38 chapters. However, months that uh, transpired in Job's life of suffering, has God written me off? Has he turned his back on me? Has he let me go my own way and left me all alone to suffer in my misery? And I wonder if you've ever prayed, God, um, I feel like my prayers just hit the ceiling. God, you seem so silent to me in my pain. You seem so absent. Frankly, God, sometimes you seem uncaring. But in verse 38, the Lord spoke to Job. The Lord spoke to Job out of a storm or out of a whirlwind. And repeatedly in Scripture, we see this whirlwind kick up, and it's associated with God's divine presence, his powerful, unimaginable nature. Like a tornado that cannot be controlled, God shows up and he speaks to Job. And that must have been tremendously comforting to Job. In fact, a commentator named Anderson wrote that that God speaks at all is enough for Job. All he needs to know is that everything is still all right between himself and God. And to that extent, it does not matter much what they talk about to Job. Any topic will do for satisfying conversation between friends. It is each other that they are enjoying. And so just to hear God's voice, to see his presence, this would have been tremendously comforting to Job, who felt like God had abandoned him. In chapter 42, verse 5, Job says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, God. My eyes have seen you. Well, God reveals himself to us today as well. We have God encounters, sometimes through dreams, sometimes as we read God's word, sometimes simply by the Spirit's promptings. This thought just comes out of nowhere as we're praying. Sometimes in our conscience we hear God, and sometimes uh, through the storms we hear God as well. So God appeared to Job in a whirlwind, and literally through the storm of his suffering as well. C.S. Lewis writes, God whispers to us in our prayers. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse the deaf world. So God uses suffering and pain to communicate with us, to reveal himself to us. And just a month ago or so, a good friend lost his wife unexpectedly. And, and Manny Revere will be here in the second service. He sits right over there. And so I'm imagining you sitting over there, Manny. Manny, you lost your wife not too long ago. And uh, prior to that, you told me that you kind of played at God. Manny said, you know, I, I knew about God, and, and I kind of, you know, 
kind of turned to him when I needed him, but I was really living for myself. But after your wife's death, Manny, after Tina's death, God just pulled you into his arms, and you experienced God's presence like never before. And I've seen an incredible change in Manny's life. It's night and day difference, a major transformation. God appeared to Manny through his suffering and continues to do so. Why does he do that? Because he knows that when we experience pain, we will abandon our self-sufficiency and like a little kid will run into the arms of God. Job never stopped crying out to God in the first 38 chapters. Throughout the entire book, he cried out to God even when he was frustrated with God's silence. And God heard these prayers. And up to this point, Job had not only heard about God, but now we're told that he saw God. He encountered God with the eyes of his heart, and that made all the difference for Job. God said, I will never abandon you. Secondly, God says, you may never understand the reasons for your suffering, Job, this side of heaven. Now, we would expect by the end of the book that God would reveal, give Job all the answers as to why he had to go through what he went through. And, and we know about that in chapters 1 and 2. But God never does reveal to Job why he went through the pain that he went through. What did God say? In chapter 38, too, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, Job. I will question you, and you shall answer me. So God began questioning Job now after Job's many questions, to God, hundreds of questions that he, he uh, offer, offered up to God. Now God turned the tables and he began to question, ask Job question after question. Actually, questions that Job couldn't possibly answer and while God appealed to his creation. For example, in verse 4, he said, Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Who marked off its dimensions? Surely, Job, you must know. Who shut up the sea behind the door when it burst forth from the womb? How about the wonders of my creation in the snow and the ice? Or the thunder and the lightning? How about the light and the darkness, Job? Can you explain that? Or how about the stars and the constellations that you see above head? Can you explain these things, God, or, or Job? Do you have the remotest understanding of these extraordinary qualities in creation? Or, or how about the animals, Job? What do you know about the animals? Do you have any control over their behaviors? The lion, consider the hawk or the raven or the eagle or the mountain goat or the bear, the wild donkey or the wild ox, the peculiar ostrich or the behemoth, which, which many believe could, be, could have been the strong hippo. Or how about the leviathan, Job? What about that sea dinosaur? Do you have any control over it? And if Job was unable to um, comprehend the visible qualities of God's creation, then how would he be able to comprehend God's invisible purposes behind God's creation? Or how could he determine what's fair or not? So what Job was experiencing uh, 
he was experiencing what Isaiah would prophesy in, in, ver- in chapter 55 when he said, God said through Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And the Apostle Paul said the same thing in Romans 11 when he said, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How untraceable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? You know, if I were one of Jesus' disciples, I would have uh, spent three years following him and I would have anticipated when Jesus would rise up to be king of Israel and assume the Rome, uh, the throne over Rome. And, and just like in the glory days of King David, I would have been so excited looking forward to the Messiah to overthrow Rome. But now, as a disciple, after three years, I'm standing before the cross watching my crucified, or my, my Messiah be put to death in the most excruciating way of crucifixion. What would I do? I guess if I were one of the disciples, I'd probably walk away filled with despair. I'd probably be tempted just to throw in the towel and to run and hide and just try to forget the three years. I, I might even feel betrayed having, to, having believed this fairy tale that I thought would be true. But in reality, I was standing before the crucified Christ and I was watching the most powerful and life-changing event that would ever take place throughout history. An event that was planned before the beginning of the time. But my thimble-sized brain would be unable to comprehend what's happening right before my very eyes. That anything possibly good could come out of this. But it was the greatest good that came out of it. And we celebrate that, that in the upcoming holiday of Easter. Good Friday and Easter. Well, this is what God was saying to Job. How can you possibly understand something that is way beyond your ability to understand Be like a seven-year-old interrupting a physicist before a rocket launch. Hey, and interrupting him, trying to tell him what to do. But if we think we can understand everything about God, then our God is too small. We need a God-sized God. Well, when Job encountered God, he finally understood how much he didn't know. And Job was humbled. We read in chapter 42, verse 2. This is the words of Job. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I do not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Job repented. Could it be that the three friends just jumped up and started dancing the jig? Finally, Job is doing what we asked him to do all along, to repent. But was Job repenting for his sin that caused the suffering? And the answer is clearly no. Job was simply repenting for his attitude after the suffering began, for his wrong thinking 
for giving into hopelessness perhaps, or for feeling useless, or for his verbal attacks toward his friends, or, or speaking beyond his ability to understand, or believing lies. For these things Job repented. God says to Job, you may never understand the reason for this, your suffering this side of heaven. And thirdly, your suffering is not because of your sin. We looked at this last week, so I won't belabor this point. God said, your suffering is not because of your sin, Job. And Job discerned this to be true from the get-go as he searched his heart. If we think we're suffering because of some sin that we've done, then we too can live in false guilt and condemnation. And Satan will just be smiling and rejoicing if we do so. Satan is the accuser of the believers. Oftentimes, innocent people suffer while guilty people prosper. Chapter 42, verse 7. After the Lord said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as your servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to your servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job will pray to you, and I will answer his prayer, and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as your servant Job has. So Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar, the Naamite, did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. These friends were wrong all along. Job was not suffering because of his sin. He repented because of his attitude after the suffering began. And then fourthly, this is what, what God would have said to Job. He said, your relationship with me is based on love, Job, not on receiving blessings. And God was pleased. God is not like a genie in the bottle for Job nor for us. You are here, God, to... Grant me my wish. You are here, God, to give me what I need. And when you give it to me, then I will worship you and I will serve you and I will love you. Oh, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know, that's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts. No one even sheds one tear, wrote Keith Green in one of his songs. I can handle the suffering, God, if you only give me a reason. Tell me why. Well, again, God, or God never revealed to Job the why behind his suffering. Job never received the big picture of chapters 1 and 2 until he was face-to-face with God in heaven. When Satan contended that people don't love God for who he is, but only for what he gives. We've all experienced people who pursue a relationship with us for what they can get from us. Um, I remember reaching out to a young man when I was in my hometown um, after college, and uh, I was discipling him. And a few weeks into our relationship, this young man I was discipling said, hey, I met this other guy who has inspired me. Uh, John, you got to meet this guy, and he wants to meet you too. He's excited to meet you. And so they arranged to take me out to dinner so that we could all three get together and encourage one another. And they even offered to buy my meal. meal. 
Shortly after eating our meal together, this guy pulled out a notebook and he asked a simple question. He said, so what's the most important thing in your life? And before I could answer, he put a big dollar sign on this pad of paper. And I stared at it and I said, well, no. Uh, I think God would be the most important thing in my life. Jesus would. As if he didn't hear it at all, he launched into this well-rehearsed presentation of a life-changing product that he wanted to promote and he wanted to recruit to be on his pyramid team. Well, I wasn't offended by that because, after all, it's a business and people need to work. But when I was finally, ultimately told them after listening, you know, I'm really not that interested. Um, I, I more am into discipling, making disciples for Christ. I was really hurt, though, when this salesman guy, along with the young man I was discipling, walked away for good. It made me feel really sad. And I realized that type of relationship is a transactional relationship. I will be your friend, and I will remain your friend until you do this, or unless you do that. But an authentic covenant relationship would say, I will be your friend no matter what, through thick and thin. Because I cherish a relationship. I value our friendship. The primary purpose behind this book of Job was to prove to Satan that a committed relationship with, with God is possible for his creation. For the sake of relationship, not simply for the sake of getting what we can from God, like a genie in the bottle. Well, Job had this kind of committed relationship with God, and God was looking for relationships like this in people, and he found it in Job. Such people live, and they even suffer to give God all the glory. And the angels must have given Job a standing ovation that day, or even during this whole time, as he persevered in his relationship with God. It was an unconditional relationship that went both ways. Satan's accusations would have been proven true had God revealed the reasons behind the suffering. Um, but he didn't. Because can you imagine if God said, okay, this is why you're suffering, Job, for this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason, and that's why I want to tell you the behind-the-scenes story here. If that would have happened, then Satan would have said, see, I, I told you, God, uh, people do not serve you until you give them what they want, namely reasons or promises that the suffering will end soon. Well, uh, Job was the poster child for all who have suffered, all of us who have suffered, and yet don't fully understand the reason why we are suffering, other than it really hurts. But we have this understanding that God still remains in control. Uh, so the last reason uh, that God, not reason, the last thing that God said to Job was this. There's a greater good, Job, that will come out of this suffering. Even though you don't understand the reason for this now, uh, you know that I'm in control and there's a greater good that will result from this. Many people struggle with the book of Job thinking that God brought about this pain in Job's life in order to teach Satan a lesson. And that doesn't seem fair. 
poor Job, he lost 10 children in the deal. Or, or to teach Job to trust him more. Or, or to make Job more holy. Or to strengthen his witness. We know the verse in Romans 8, 28, God works all things out for the good for those who love the Lord. But this verse does not mean God causes all things to happen. Satan was behind the suffering. God was not. It doesn't mean that God causes, calls everything good. Suffering is not good. It's unfair. It's a result of the fall. It's evil. No, this verse means that God will use even the evil garbage that is thrown at us and he will recycle that, um, that garbage and transform it into something good. Sort of like when Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, his 11 brothers, and, and sold into Egypt. And then eventually, many years later, when they came back into contact with one another, Job said, you brothers... You intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I want to end with this story. Well, the New Orleans Saints linebacker, Demario Davis, received the Bart Starr Award this past Super Bowl. It was an award, uh, or it was during the Pro Bowl, actually, um, and it was an award that was voted on by all the uh, Pro Bowlers there. For the person that exemplifies the most outstanding character and leadership in the home and on the football field and in the community. His wife explained that their shared purpose as a couple and as a family is this. Our primary mission has always been to be a walking billboard for Christ so that others may be able to see and encounter him through us in our experiences. Last year... DeMario and Tamela took their youngest of four children, Carly Faith, to their hospital in Nashville because she was having a slight abnormality in her left eye. But what followed was a parent's worst nightmare. They told us it was cancer, Tamela said. Carly Faith was diagnosed with retinoblastoma in her left eye, a rare form of eye cancer that had progressed to its highest stage. Already blind in her eye, Carly Faith required immediate surgery to remove her eye. To which Tamela said, People see the story, but we saw God. He provided us so much peace, so much comfort. In the removal of our daughter's eye, we saw so many other small miracles right before our eyes. We were able to see God's hand in all of it. And so they use even this as a platform for God's glory, to be a walking billboard for Christ. Well, Job was never told the reason for his great suffering, but he continued to trust God regardless. And God has used his story to encourage millions throughout the centuries. Job has become the walking billboard for God's glory to all of us who encounter suffering and we see God through the suffering. Uh, even though we don't understand, he is the walking billboard for us to bring us encouragement, inspiration, even when we're going through difficult times. And God will use our suffering as well to bless others when we continue to trust in him. So where have we been today? 
we've looked at five words that God ultimately gave to Job without even revealing all the understanding. But he said, Job, as you go through uh, struggle and suffering, I will never abandon you. And God says the same thing to us as we're walking through difficult times. He also says to us and to Job, you may never fully understand the reason behind your suffering this side of heaven. But regardless, I'm in control. And thirdly, God says, your suffering is not because of your sin, Job. There's another purpose. And then fourthly, your relationship with me, God, our relationship is not based on what you can get out of me, but it's based on a true relationship of love. And for that, I'm so pleased, Job. And then fifthly, God said, there will be greater good that comes out of this. Even if you may not understand the reasons behind your suffering, there is always a greater good. God will never waste our sorrows. I pray that this word from Job, or, or this, these lessons from the book of Job, will be a source of encouragement to us as well, to each one of you, as we uh, ponder this this next week. Let's pray. So, Lord God, I thank you for uh, Job, and I thank you, uh, Lord, that uh, you ultimately did speak to Job. You revealed yourself to him in a very powerful way, a life-changing way, Lord, despite all the excruciating suffering that he had to endure. And, and Lord, as we walk through difficult times, may we remember these lessons that you taught to Job because they apply to us as well. Encourage us, Lord by your spirit, your presence, and, uh, and your, um, your strength, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.